0: You know, this story of redemption is about our system i say when i speak the law schools if our system wanted to keep anybody out exhibit a it would have been me not only was i reinstated in one state i was reinstated in two states and then pardoned by the governor this is how recovery and redemption are viewed they're accepted they're encouraged and if people have struggles that's why it is so important to reach out and get help because we all know people
1: that didn't survive Welcome to Lawyers Who Lead, a podcast that challenges the notion that the law lags behind. I'm your host, Seagal Barnes. Each week, I invite a lawyer who's making powerful changes through extraordinary leadership. In each episode, we'll travel through another lawyer's life, identify what they do best, and then devise how to apply these concepts to your own world. So let's get to it. Welcome back, leaders and future leaders, to part two of Leading with Redemption with Lori Besden. If you tuned in last week, you would know that we've been through a powerful ride through Lori's life. Let's continue by welcoming Lori back in part two of the episode. Let's get to it. So tell me about your work with LCL. So I came on board in 2011 as the deputy
0: director because I'm the product we sell. You know, this organization was kind of like a waste of time until it saved my life. And this can happen to anybody. And then in 2015, when my amazing predecessor retired, I then was asked to become executive director. So as executive director, I teach the judiciary, the same judiciary that helped to save my life, as well as all the attorneys. We have 67 counties in Pennsylvania. We also have nine law schools. I also have a presence nationally, whether I'm asked to present CLEs nationally. I've been asked to present for the JAG Corps internationally multiple times. And also part of my job responsibilities besides overseeing an amazing staff of seven that literally make the magic happen. They make me look good. They're phenomenal humans. I handle the intervention calls. So when a third party calls and says, you know, I'm concerned about this attorney, whether they say I can have a conversation with them or I can't, I then handle that and either guide them through a conversation or I find a way to reach out to the person that is struggling, often through our peer base of 300 volunteers, to try to offer a lifeline to somebody. And all of our volunteers have have a similar Carfax to mine, maybe not as extreme, but we've all walked through some type of darkness. So when we reach out to people, like you had mentioned, non-judgmental, been there, just want to share my experience how can i help support you it's like if i didn't meet dave would i ever have thought a convicted felon could get reinstated absolutely not i wouldn't even have thought to report it to the disciplinary board which ultimately i was suspended for 3 years in both states i wouldn't even have reported it ever i've never would have even thought about it tell me about that so after i was released from prison dave was instrumental helped me find a job as a paralegal and said, just report everything to the disciplinary board. And I literally wrote them a letter saying, like, sorry, I missed the 30 day reporting requirement by four years. I was arrested all of these times, jail rehab. So ultimately, we entered a three year joint petition for suspension in Pennsylvania. And New Jersey did the same thing. So when I filed for reinstatement in Pennsylvania, ultimately, that went through in 2009 in PA and then 2010 in New Jersey. And I want to just say not focusing on the time incarcerated, but I know I'd mentioned earlier, my mom suspected based on visual appearances that I may have had some eating struggles. And when I was incarcerated, I went into prison, 110 pounds, cocaine weight. When I left 11 and a half months later, I left at 253 pounds. And I say that because I have the disease of more, you know, so whether it was in my case or still is and something I need to carefully monitor today food, drugs, alcohol, whatever it is. I have to be very mindful of my intake of food today because I have the disease of more. I truly do. It's great to be able to do a job like I do and focus in 20 different directions at once and be in this place, but handling this intervention on the ride, all of that is great, but I absolutely just need to always be mindful that what I'm doing and make sure that there's a balance to what I'm doing. How do you do that? Daily routine. I'm a huge Peloton enthusiast. I can hardly help myself from mentioning Peloton on any platform that I'm given the opportunity. I'm sure I'll have them in a CLE at some point, but I have a routine. I get up every morning. I write in a gratitude journal. I've been doing that four years ongoing. I meditate. I ride for 45 minutes. After that, and then as I work, whether it's working from home or working in the office, I have a tread desk. And believe it or not, that is an organic way of helping me with my ADHD, because obviously I don't take controlled medication. So it helps improve my focus. So when I am not traveling or presenting or speaking, that's exactly where I work from is a tread desk. So I just think having a routine for somebody like me is life-saving. Even on days where I'm traveling and driving eight hours, I'll just get up earlier and make sure I set my table right by starting with meditation, gratitude, and Peloton. And unless my schedule is hijacked or I end up in a hospital, God forbid, you can guarantee that my day is going to start that way.
1: It's so important to have that structure. For me, at least, the hardest part is to, when things get derailed to go back to it, to like make sure that it becomes the priority no matter what.
0: Absolutely. I mean, it helps Peloton has a, you know, every day that you use it, you get a blue dot. So, yes. you know, those of us, you must have a Peloton. I do. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so I mean, it, it becomes a blue dot addiction. So I'm like, I need to get my blue dot.
1: Yeah. And then you have your streaks, right? Like your weekly streak and your monthly streak. The gamification of health is a huge thing and I'm I'm all for it. Absolutely. <laughs> so your legal licenses were never suspended during the time that you were incarcerated?
0: That's correct. They just didn't know? They didn't know. So in Pennsylvania, they had put me on an inactive status because I did not do my CLE credits for three years in a row. So that automatically put me on an inactive status. And New Jersey was kind of tricky. They initially told me they revoked my license for not paying into their lawyer's client fund. And then they suspended my revoked license, which is kind of the loophole I went for when I went for reinstatement because I'm like well you can't really suspend a license that's not there so maybe it is still there so let's vacate the revocation and then let's get reinstated and literally by a miracle much greater than myself that is exactly what happened so they suspended me retroactive to the date of reporting yeah everything was reported in 2005.
1: I probably didn't report it until later but the date that they received everything is where we went backwards So you reported everything that happened. You said, I'm going to be totally transparent about all the things that I did. I want to, in collaboration with you, suspend my license because I believe that's what I should do. And then after that period of time, did you have to petition to get reinstated? And how does that work?
0: Well, they determined the period of time that I was going to be suspended. I just reported everything. And actually, when I reported to Pennsylvania, just due to the nature of missing the reporting requirement of 30 days and then having quite a story to report. They called me and they said, did you really write this letter? And so they determined through the disciplinary process that a three-year suspension was appropriate, asked me if me and my counsel agreed. We did. So we filed a joint petition for suspension that was accepted by the disciplinary board and the court. Then inevitably, after that three-year period expired, then I filed for reinstatement, a petition for reinstatement in Pennsylvania. And once that went through is then when I dealt with New Jersey. I never practiced in New Jersey. I took the New Jersey bar, so It was only one extra day. You know, I don't have a primary residence there. So I thought, let me see if I can get back in Pennsylvania and then I'll address New Jersey. You know, this story of redemption is about our system. I say when I speak the law schools, if our system wanted to keep anybody out, exhibit A, it would have been me. Not only was I reinstated in one state, I was reinstated in two states and then pardoned by the governor. This is how recovery and redemption are viewed. They're accepted, they're encouraged. And if people have struggles, that's why it is so important to reach out and get help. Every state in the United States has a lawyer's assistance program at your fingertips, 24-7, that have dates. You know, often that's become like the term, how do I find a Dave? (laughs) Can't have mine, but there are a lot of them. And so it's just so important to get help because we all know people that didn't survive. Chronic progressive fatal, if untreated, mental health and substance use. Yes.
1: I want to close out this part because it's very, very important for everyone to think about the word redemption. I like that this is a story of redemption and also a story of collectively a lot of people coming together in the belief of redemption. Right. It's hard for me to get the words out because I'm so like moved by it. And I also want to make sure I get the words right. But I like that your story helps shed some light on how the justice system can work, that there are circumstances in which that happens. So thank you for that.
0: Absolutely. And I say this jokingly, whether, you know, Judge Carpenter is on a panel with me or not and it's funny because i mean our relationship today i've had dinner at his house i've met his family my dog has visited him he calls me and says hi laurie it's bill just calling to check in and i'm like bill you sent me to jail i'm never going to call you bill he says plain bill i'm like oh really plain bill who saved my life you'll always be judge carpenter but i think he certainly was not my friend the day that he sentenced me for the last time. And in fact, we did a CLE and reenacted my sentencing. It was very much, he was not interested in what was being said, but single-handedly to celebrate my sobriety, he calls, he texts, he sends cards to me on Thanksgiving because he knows how meaningful the day of thanks is to me. That's above and beyond. He did his job and sent me to prison. He didn't know he was signing up for like a lifetime person. And believe it or not, you know, a lot of the judges I know said like people who stay sober come back and they do thank the judges. But when you're fighting the system and you think you are a victim, you don't see it that way. As an FYI, speaking of extraordinary situations. So my pardon was not only supported by those incredible folks. My pardon was supported by the Chief Justice of the Pennsylvania Supreme Court. At that time, Chief Justice Saylor had been on the Supreme Court 24 years. 24 years and knew my story, knew that I clerked for a judge on a superior court who was formerly on his Supreme Court with him and wrote his first and only letter of support on my behalf. And in that letter, it said, I can't imagine a more deserving applicant. You know, talk about redemption of the system and the system working. I'm just so grateful to
1: be able to be a small part of this incredible miracle. It truly is. And when you reported to the disciplinary board, was that part of the recovery process to report? What was the catalyst for reporting? That was Dave saying,
0: you know, the right thing is to do now is you need to contact the Pennsylvania disciplinary board and let them know what happened. Yeah. So he said, just write him a letter. It's fine. Just write him a letter. So that's what I did. I just wrote him a letter. And that all came from that. You know, and I remember thinking, just because I had so much fear, And anytime I received an envelope from the disciplinary board in my addiction, I would just put it in a drawer and like think magically it was taken care of. I didn't even open them. As I was getting on inactive status, I didn't even know. Because quite frankly, I never thought I would survive my addiction. My law license was the least of my concerns when I was strung out for four days on cocaine. Right. So I never even considered ever reporting anything until Dave was like, you know, working in a firm as a formerly admitted attorney under the rules you need to let the disciplinary board know. And I'm like, oh my God, they're going to disbar me. He's like, you need to report it before they find out. This is how it's supposed to be done. Yeah, that's great advice. Yeah, i reported it as soon as I could. And as soon as I was free, I mean, I also lost my driver's license. The whole process, which is, it was as bottom as I could get without dying. I just share that because there's so much hope. There's so much hope. As long as somebody is breathing, there is hope. Yes.
1: So I want to talk about your work at the LCL, you had started to talk about how you work with intervention as it relates to a third party giving you a call. Who are generally these third party people? Is there a theme to these people that call up? We receive calls from other partners
0: in the law firm calling about a partner or an associate, family members calling about their family members, whether the family member calling it is an attorney. We also in Pennsylvania, many of the lawyers assistance programs also help family members. And we also hear from sometimes judges who have attorneys appear in front of them, and they'll call and say, I smelled alcohol on this individual at nine o'clock in the morning. I can't be involved. I'm the judge on the case. And we say, we'll take it from here. You know, we don't report back. We're 100% confidential. All lawyers, most of the lawyers assistance programs are. So you can call if you're concerned about somebody. You don't have to give your name. And we'll do what we can to try to get the person assistance. And I will say, I mean, I mean, you heard this whole story of complete denial until I couldn't even deny it anymore when I stared in a prison cell. And I remember this presentation in law school. I remember hearing my predecessor speaking. I remember the brochure because I found it as I was moving out of law school after the bar exams. It never occurred to me to pick up the phone and ask for help. I didn't even think I needed help. I was the last one to get the memo that I needed help. So It is so important to anybody listening to this, like if you're listening and you're thinking, you know, there's that colleague of mine, they've been off. Don't sit on that thought for a long time because there's confidential support. I can tell you, I could never, even if I thought picking up the phone was a good idea, I could never have picked up a 5,000 pound phone and asked for help. I just couldn't have. I know I couldn't have because I didn't. And so of the calls that LCL receives in Pennsylvania, About 25 to 35% come in as interventions, as third-party calls. In 2022, 80% of the people that called either approached the person they were concerned about or we did, and 90% of the people struggling either went on to get an evaluation or treatment because somebody else cared enough to pick up the phone and ask for help for that person. It is so important when you see someone struggling to be their voice. Because A, even if they can pick up the phone, it might be too heavy. But most of us struggling are the last
1: ones to realize that we actually need help. What kind of advice would you give to someone who, as a third party, wants to call and help someone else, but is nervous or fearful of getting that person in trouble, getting them to spar, getting them suspended? You know, I'm sure that's a concern for third parties. What kind of advice could you give to people out there that are potentially worried about that?
0: That's a great question. First of all, I'm speaking from Pennsylvania's view only. We are not connected with discipline. We 100%, unless somebody called and said, I just murdered 10 people, that has never happened in 34 years. In 34 years, we have never reported any calls that we've received, ever. People share a lot of things with us. We save lives. We do not deal with your law license. So we are 100% a safe call. You know, it's important to say our funding does come through the annual license registration fee, half through the disciplinary board, half through lawyers fund, in the hopes that we can help folks before the claims hit their desk, but we do not share any information. So to those people saying, you know, well, what if I'm wrong? What if it's not? Maybe it's just they're going through a tough domestic time, but what if that's not the case? And what if you're the only person with the courage to call the lawyer's assistance program And have them walk you through an approach. And what if you're the only person to say to that person, I see you and I care? I often say this, you know, in my own life, my family, everyone's family, we all do the best we can with what we have and the knowledge we have at the time. My family, every intervention they had for me, they, Johnson style, gather people, read bottom line letters, tell me what's wrong with me, tell me what I have to do, and then laundry list all the things that I did. Okay. The person struggling, Does not need to hear any of that. The second my mom would close that door and start reading this letter, if you don't go to treatment today, I'm removing myself. I get it. And by the time people call LCL or the lawyer's assistance programs, they are pissed. They've been lied to. They've been stolen from. People have failed to show up for work obligations. People are angry. So natural instinct is to want to sit down with the person that you think is struggling and say, listen, you need help. It's clear you're drinking. I smell it. If you don't, you're going to lose your job. People who are struggling, we just shut down and think, how quickly can I get to the other side of that door? I don't care about the consequences. Let me get it to the other side of the door. The most effective interventions or conversations, it's not a numbers game. The more people there, the more we feel it's a conspiracy. You know, or at least I'm speaking for myself. I think it's important when people call LCL and they say, like, we have six people ready to sit this person down. And I say, You need one person who that person respects. Pick the person that person respects the most. It should be an in-person conversation. And this is exactly how it should go. Regardless of what you're presenting to me, like they definitely smell like alcohol. They miss this, this, and this. Always start with something positive. You have a great work product. You're very valued at the firm. You know, and your language is everything. And then you say it appears that something may be going on or it appears you might be struggling now, not diagnosing them. Just saying it appears and then saying, I just want you to know that there's a confidential resource if you want to offer that's outside of the firm, that's absolutely confidential. Or if you have an EAP with the firm, you can give them that confidential information. And at the the end of the conversation, you say to them, you know, I'm sorry if I'm wrong. I just really care about you. And that's it. That person walks away from that conversation, doesn't feel that it was a conspiracy, doesn't feel judged has resources, and knows that somebody genuinely sees them, appreciates them, and cares about them because I've been in the seat on both sides. And the only time in my entire addiction that I had somebody approach me like that was my best friend. And I remember her saying she knew how strung out I was and she just never left my side and she's not in recovery. And I remember her saying, you know, maybe you should just like consider going to rehab, consider it like a vacation like she cared and she loved me and she wanted me to survive. And she didn't know any other way to offer help, but to remain a lifeline. And I share that all the time. Did I go at that time? No, I didn't. Did I think about what she said over and over and over again until I was forced to go get help? Absolutely. And have I ever forgotten that conversation? Never. And I remember it made me feel like she wasn't judging me. She was just saying, This might be a good thing. You just don't know. And she wasn't saying you absolutely need to do this. She said, it's just something you should consider doing. You could consider it like a vacation. Right. And I've used that advice when people contact us about family members. That never left
1: me. It's interesting because even if you didn't, let's say, listen, like you did with your best friend, you didn't listen to all of these different people. They're all data points, right, that kind of sit inside your mind. And when the time comes and everything comes together, those data points are there to help pull from as well. And that's what we say, like
0: every call to LCL, if you're calling about somebody else and you have a conversation with them, so on the 10% that did not get help, you planted a seed. You planted a seed of somebody saying, I see you and I care. I mean, imagine the person struggling, and we've received many calls, major depressive disorder, self-medicating with alcohol. So imagine how much it means to that person for somebody to sit down and say, I really value you. But it appears something may be going on. Here's the support. If I'm wrong, I care. That may be the only person who has the courage to literally look someone in the face who is struggling and they don't even know it's major depressive disorder. Say, I see you and I care. And so by the time people contact LCL or a lawyer's assistance program or call an interventionist, they are angry. They are absolutely angry. And it's natural to want to list, you know, all the things
1: somebody did wrong and, It's just absolutely not effective. It's absolutely not effective. First of all, thank you for the practical advice that people can use to actually have those conversations as well as call and talk to somebody about it and really helping people understand or to allay their fears about potentially getting that person in trouble. That's really helpful information, but also that practical advice at the end that's saying, even if I'm wrong, it's because I care. Right. That's such a simple thing, but it's so impactful.
0: I mean, I've had partners in a firm, they'll call and they'll say, You know, we really care about this person. And then when I say, well, you're going to open the conversation telling them how much you care about them. And they said, well, what would I say? I said, the exact same thing you just said to me. Why did you care enough to pick up the phone to call me? That's what that person needs to hear. You think that much of them. You know, they're worthy of saving. You care about them so much. You consider them a personal friend. That's what they need to hear. Yes. And you think it's captain obvious, but it's not. People need to hear that. When you start a conversation positive, the person's gonna listen and they're not gonna look for an exit strategy and they'll be open to hearing what you have to say because they don't feel like it's a conspiracy. It's a conversation and people think, well, it's a numbers game. The more people, the better. No, absolutely not. It's not a numbers game. One person, one-on-one yields the best results, really. Thank you for
1: that. Absolutely. I wanna move on to some questions that we ask every guest. We're gonna focus on leadership now because the leadership that you've shown throughout your entire journey is really admirable. Thank you. Of course. So my first question to you is, what does leadership in law mean to you?
0: So I think leadership in law is truly being the example. I speak from a microphone often. I'm presenting on all kinds of topics. I don't just share my story. I talk about compassion fatigue. I talk about balance and wellness and mental health and you name it. As long as it's on the spectrum of substance use, mental health, we're presenting it. But it's important that I'm that example. So it's important I sleep. It's important that I have a balance. It's important I, as a person in recovery, am involved with community support groups, that I'm in service, that I'm not just in service on Thanksgiving. It's every week that I have a sponsor, that I have a home group, that I have a position internationally with recovery organizations. Being the example to other people that I stand at a microphone and say, This defines wellness. Am I perfect every day? Absolutely not. Progress, not perfection. That's me. So, I mean, I think that's what leadership in the law means. Just being the example, you know, not expecting from others things that you're not willing to do yourself. That's how I handle our team. And knowing you're only as strong as your weakest link, the strength of the links is up to the leader and it should be the leader's priority. If there was one thing you could improve about the legal industry, what would it be? I think continuing to break down the stigma of asking for help, I think it's so tough in our profession. We're taught from the door. Here's a poker face in law school. You're going to solve problems for a living. So what happens when the problem is yours? We're taught from the door not to show weakness, not to ask for help, and to figure it out. So I would love to see this momentum continue. We've made so much progress we still have such a long way to go. Somebody has cancer. They don't think twice. They go to the oncologist. They get a treatment plan.
1: Everyone rallies around them in support. That's how substance use and mental health should be treated. Same exact way. What is something people seem to misunderstand about the work that you do? I'm going
0: to speak as my role as executive director or even being a partner in a firm. People think it's about like a hierarchy and all about delegation. And I think the most important, whether it's a lawyer's assistance program, firm is valuing every single voice on your team. I can't say that enough. I mean, almost any question you ask me, I'm going to answer the same way. Our team, and I've already mentioned this, it wouldn't matter if I stood at a microphone and reached people internationally if I didn't have a team behind me taking these phone calls and boots on the ground, getting people into treatment. That's what they do every single day. So, and they're like, oh, your presentation was great. I'm nothing without you. Like, and I mean that, like you're the oxygen to the program. And I think part of leadership and misconception is it's a hierarchy, delegate. No, 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 You're the same piece of the pie as your entire team. And don't ever think that your piece is bigger. If anything, your piece may be a little small. I can't say it any stronger than that because I absolutely am in love with my team. I think the more you actually live that theory out in practice, and trust me, we do in our office, the more... You all feel that, whether it's a hire and, you know, we're all hiring, we're all interviewing together. It's not an executive director decision. The last two hires, it was a group decision, group interviews, group discussion. A group literally made this decision. It was not my decision. This is a team member. It impacts everybody. This needs to be a decision
1: of the team. It sounds like you have a really fantastic team and you have a really wonderful way in which you approach your mission. Thank you. Nobody's allowed to steal them who's listening to this. (laughs)
0: They're not available for theft so or robbery. So please do not consider trying to kill our team,
1: please. Absolutely. You can have a Dave, but you can't have your Dave. And you can have a team, but you can't have your team. Right. I mean,
0: it, it almost starts to sound like I might have control issues, right?
1: <laughs> no, it shows how much you recognize these people and how wonderful they are and how much of an impact that they make. And you appreciate them and you recognize them. Yeah. LCL
0: would be nowhere
1: without them. Great. So you've already given so much practical advice, but it is a question I ask every time. So let's see if we can pull another piece of practical advice from you.
0: I think honestly, truly being kind. And I know I've already focused on the team aspect, but the most important part of my job is making sure that my team is strong and that they're all individually, emotionally okay every day. If somebody is struggling or somebody comes in and they seem off, or I know somebody lost someone in their family. That is my priority, to make sure our team knows how much I care about them and how important they are. We plan wellness days. We went to the Van Gogh exhibit. In January, I tell everybody, randomly put four mental health days on the calendar. These dates can't have significance. They can't be birthdays. Randomly space them out. When those days come, you cannot change those days. So we do things like that in our staff meetings. We always end with a meditation, of course, by Peloton. And everybody says things that they're grateful for every single staff meeting. So it's important to have your team realize how important they are, whether you can't thank them monetarily. We just had a door decorating contest for Halloween in our office, and it was so much fun. And I said, as a bonus, you know, here's three PTO paid time off hours. Thank you so much. Please know how much we appreciate what you do. You know, and just letting your staff know how important they are. And I don't say that. They are literally the oxygen to the program
1: that we offer. Truly. That's wonderful. Lori, I want to thank you so much for this interview. I have learned so much. You have shown me what it looks like to find peace, to come to terms with the things that we might feel shame about in our lives. You have shown me what redemption looks like, how We really do have a collective, not only responsibility, but a collective purpose to helping others. My gratitude is to you today. uh, You're not going to make me
0: cry on a podcast, are you? Please do not (laughs) do that to me. I have to maintain this exterior here. But the thanks goes to you because the people that will listen to this podcast are only listening because of you. You know what I mean? Because you made this podcast a reality. So again, I can stand at a microphone, but if there's not a team behind me, what I have to say is irrelevant. The fact that you're giving a platform to a message is where the thanks goes. And and I truly thank you. Without these platforms, we don't reach people. And the more we talk about it, the more we're normalizing the ask. Every single person on the planet walking through the pandemic has now experienced mental health and or substance use challenges. It's no longer a who has or I know somebody who. no every person has walked through stress and anxiety, if not more. So this applies to every single person. It's true. So the thanks goes to you, truly to you.
1: You're going to make me cry.
0: (laughs) (laughs) We're a mess. We're really going to need to edit (laughs) this. I know.
1: (laughs) Lori, thank you so much. If someone wanted to reach out to you, connect with you, learn more about LCL, PA, how can they do so?
0: LCLPA has a phenomenal website, lclpa.org. I can be contacted actually through Lawline. That's how I'm often contacted. I'm also on Facebook, Instagram. But if you Google me, I have quite the Google and you can definitely reach me that way. Wonderful.
1: Thank you so much, Lori. And I hope you have a great rest of your day. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. to get the special offer. Check out Lawline for the best content for leaders and future leaders in legal.